0: on Resurrection Sunday, and we're going to study um, a special passage this morning in Romans chapter 5. <laughs> we, You know, I, I kind of went back and forth, you know, we typically, we just go straight through a book, straight through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and I was praying, I was like, Lord, you know, should we do a special passage, or should we stay where we're at and just keep trucking? And as I started to read the chapter that we had been studying, and the chapter that we were getting ready to go into... Um, I noticed that the Lord is going to tell us through this passage today, not only about the resurrection, but one of the results, one of the benefits of Jesus not just dying in our place, but also rising from the dead, and why he did that, why it was necessary. And so we find ourselves in Romans chapter 5 this morning, and Paul has been telling us, he explained in the first chapter, basically what it means uh, and how we see the sinfulness of man. There's a greeting from verse one through 17 and he explains why he's writing the letter. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for in the gospel is the power of God and the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And so Paul's saying, hey, if I could come to you, here's what I'd tell you about. This is the biggest, most important thing that I could share with you in this life. And then in verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, he talks about the sinfulness of man. Now, if Paul starts writing the book of Romans and he starts to tell you, hey, Jesus died for your sins, and he doesn't lay down the foundation that you are a sinner, and you, because of your sin, deserve death in the eyes of God, then you don't realize you need a Savior. If you don't know there's a problem, you're not going to look for a solution. And many times Christians will tell people that are not Christians, you need a Savior, but they never... Tell them what God's standard is for sin and for righteousness. And so sometimes I think we get the cart before the horse. And so the Lord, through the pen of Paul, reveals to the Romans there that man is utterly sinful. Even if he hasn't sinned, which he has, he's inherited sin, a sinful nature, a bent towards sinning through Adam. And that's what we'll look at this morning. But then he... From chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter 5, verse 11, he talks about being justified and what ways man can be justified. And he reveals to us that we can't be justified by our works, we can only be justified by faith in God. And so here we are this morning in chapter 5, verse 12. But last week in verse 10, Paul ended on this note. Chapter 5, verse 10. He says, for if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Paul's explaining that before we receive Jesus Christ, we are not just kind of neutral. Man is not neutral. He's either for God or he's against him. And so we were at war with God. And so Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then in verse 8, he says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so I love that, that though we were against God, while we were still against him, that's when he died for us, proving. That he doesn't show us favor favor because we've done enough good or because there was something in us that he desired. But he's trying to restore what happened at the fall. He's trying to reconcile, to bring us back, to deal with what separated us from the love of God, which is our sin. And so he continues in verse 11, verse 10. He says, if when we were enemies, if that's when we were reconciled to God through the death of his son and it took death, Leviticus says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or forgiveness or covering or cleansing of sin. There has to be a blood sacrifice. And they used to do the blood of bulls and goats, but now we come through the spotless lamb of God. And so without that shedding of blood, without death, there can be no reconciliation. And we know this. You ever had an argument with somebody in your family? You ever had an argument with a friend? Unless one person is willing to go, you know what? I'm going to agree to disagree. I'm going to give up my right to be right. And I'm going to forgive you. And you're going to hopefully forgive me as a result. And then that, that reconciliation happens. Pride keeps us from apologizing, right? Pride keeps us from letting go of something that really doesn't matter. And in our arguments, and in our relationships, sometimes one person has to die to their own assumptions or opinions or belief and just say, you know what, I love you more than I love winning this argument. And that's what God did for us. He righteously doesn't have to forgive us of sin. He has no reason. He set the mark where it needs to be. He says, hit this mark and you can hang with me. And we all try to shoot arrows and hit the target. And sometimes we're like, you know what? I don't want to hang with you. I don't want to hit the mark. And we aim completely. I'm going to shoot the other way. It's like when I tell Lucy, if you go get your shoes, we will put them on and then we can go outside. She wants to go outside, but she's not willing to get her shoes. And so she does exactly the opposite of what I say. Or, hey, we've got some food for you here, Lucy. Are you hungry? Yes. Will you sit in your chair? No. Do you want the food? Yes. Will you do what I ask? No. Why is it like that? Sin nature. We naturally do the opposite of what we're supposed to do. And so Adam was no different. And when he rebelled against God, that's what put that in Lucy. She's inherited that. We didn't have to teach her to do the opposite of what we tell her. That's the sin nature that we've inherited from Adam. And so God loves us enough that he he doesn't have to forgive us. He's totally righteous in judging us and revealing his wrath against our unrighteousness. But in his wrath, he remembered mercy. He does not give us what we do deserve when we come to him by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you spend your whole life and you reject the sacrifice, if you reject God's mercy in demonstrating his love for us and dying on the cross while we're still sinning against him, if you reject that, then he's completely just in judging you. But he shows mercy. He provides a sacrifice to bring us back near to him. And that's what he's done in Jesus Christ. And so he's reconciled us. He's brought us back close. And not only that, verse 11, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. God demonstrated his love, not in sending a, 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 a fallible man, but in sending his son, which in fact was him. It was him taking on human flesh and stepping down into the gap and dealing with it. And so he gets involved personally. Hope is a person Peace is a person. The gift of God, the grace of God, it's a person, it's Jesus. And so, as, as he's talked about faith justifying us, our trust in the Lord, he talked about the benefits of the believer. He talked about how we have peace with God through Jesus. And we just talked about that. Divi- taking the, the separation away. But then we also have access, verse 2, by faith in this grace in which we stand. He not only takes away the dividing wall, but then he gives us grace to live for him. He gives us the power to obey his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And they won't be a burden to you. Because the love of God has been poured out upon your heart, giving you the ability to obey. Hopefully, Lucy will one day learn to obey us Not because she always gets it or because we explain it to her, but she recognizes that we love her and we have her best intentions in mind. We want the best for her. And so we're doing all that we can. And so the reality is, is we're going to ask Lucy to do something one day. And in her flesh, she's going to say, I don't want to obey them. I want to do the exact opposite. And then she's going to think, hopefully, but my parents love me, so they wouldn't tell me to do something that's going to harm me. They're telling me to do something because it's, it's the best for me. But she, hopefully one day she will learn that obeying us is not something to do because we deserve to be obeyed. Because the reality is I'm sinful, Kelly's sinful, and we don't deserve to be obeyed, but children are supposed to obey their parents not just because they deserve it, but because that is the will of God for children. It's the way that God protects them the way that he keeps them safe. And so in obeying us, they're really obeying God. And that's what we want to teach our children to do. And so I don't know how I got off on that. But not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He said we glory in tribulation. We glory with hope. And he had actually told us, I know I keep jumping back and forth, but in verse 2 he says, not only that, not only do we glory in the hope of God that we're going to go to heaven, but we also glory in tribulation. Knowing that the tribulations, the pressures of this life, when we obey God, even though it's not comfortable, the tribulations produce in us perseverance. And that perseverance produces in us character. The same character that develops when a runner wants to get ready for the race, and so they practice, and they practice, and they run. And they exhaust themselves and they strengthen their muscles. Muscles break down when we lift weights. It actually tears the fabrics between the muscle and the the proteins and all that stuff. But when we lift enough weights and we max out and we do all the repetitions, what it does is when it tears the muscles, those muscles are then healed as we eat the right foods. And then what happens is those muscles become stronger because of the perseverance And that strength is what we call character. And then in the day that those muscles are needed, we go to use them, they're ready, they're prepared. And in the same way, that character, that perseverance and tribulation produce, produces hope. Faith is a muscle. And if we don't exercise it, it doesn't grow, it doesn't strengthen. And so as we exercise our faith, trusting God in the little things, Trusting God in the hard things, the tribulations, it produces character in us, which produces hope. Because our hope doesn't disappoint because it's in Jesus. Our circumstances will change. The people around us will change. But when our hope is in Christ, Christ never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it won't disappoint because He'll always be there. And so, not only will that encourage us, because we'll learn to trust Him more and more as we see that He's faithful when we're obedient. But also, the people around us that are going through the same junk that we have to go through, they'll see our character, they'll see the hope that doesn't make any sense to them, and they'll go, I want that. And even if right away they don't necessarily want that because they won't want to go the way you went to get it, they may not want to go to Jesus for it, they just want to be strong. But the reality is they won't be able to And then when they're broken, when they're weak, perhaps they'll have seen that example in your life. They'll come to you and say, where are you getting that? Because I need it. I need peace. And then you'll be able to say to them, you can't get peace except through the person of Christ. You can't get peace until you have peace with God. And then, when you're in a trial, you can pray, Lord, give me the peace of God that passes all understanding because I need it. I'm hurting. I'm pressured. I'm weak. And so, Paul's talked about being justified by faith. He's talked about the benefits of believers. But then he's talking about a hope that's in a resurrected Savior. So in chapter 5, verse 12, after he said that not only that, but we also rejoice in God through Jesus, through whom we have received the reconciliation. In verse 12, he says, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, who was that one man, that brought sin into the world, Adam. Adam is that one man through whom sin entered into the world. And death came through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Why do we sin? We don't sin because we're sinners. Excuse me. (laughs) We're not called sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. People always throw up, well, I can't help it. That's just me. That's just who I am. Yeah, that's who you are. You're a sinner. It makes sense. When life squeezes you, and out of you comes nastiness and sin, that's because you're full of sin. You have a, a will that just desires the easy way that is sinful. And sin is pleasurable for a season, but sin brings forth what? Death. So because death entered through sin... All of a sudden, all of the descendants of Adam died. Remember, God told told Adam, he said what? He said, in the day that you partake of this tree that I've asked you not to eat from, you can eat from all these other trees. In the day you eat of it, what's going to happen? You will die. And Satan came along and said, you won't surely die. Started casting seeds of doubt, implying that God was lying and withholding some truth from Adam that he needed. And then so... Eve took of the fruit, and then she gave it to Adam, and Adam ate. Eve didn't know any better necessarily, but Adam did. He knew the command. And so he took the fruit. And when he took that fruit, death entered. He ate it. He transgressed. He broke a commandment knowingly. When you tell your kids, don't do this, and they do it, they're doing it knowingly, knowing that there's consequences. Not necessarily believing the consequences will come, but when they do, then it's like, well, that's not fair. But it is. It's completely fair. And so, because sin entered the world through Adam, and death came into the world through sin, and thus, death spread to all men. We have an inheritance from our father Adam. Do you know that each one of us, in this building, in this valley, in the world, every person... Has an inheritance. Every person. Everybody's always like, well, my family didn't leave me nothing. Well, if nobody left you anything, if you don't have an inheritance at all no house, no money, no car, no nothing here's what you get. Here's your inheritance from your father, Adam. We all descended from him sin and death. You're welcome. Thanks Adam. Exactly. Thanks a lot. I could have done better than that. At least I, you know, at least at the very least I won't leave my kids anything. But don't leave me sin and death. What in the world? I think that was a slap to me. <laughs> so, here's what happens. That's our hope. Without Christ, that's what we inherit. Sin and death. Do you know what Adam's name means? By the way, man. It means man. That's what man leaves us: sin and death. Any man that you know, if you put your hope in them, you know what they got to offer you: sin and death. So my point is, is that that's the best that man has to offer: sinfulness, a sinful nature, sinful habits, sinful character. Verse thirteen: For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. From Adam into Moses. I know you guys were just riveted this year. Reading the Old Testament. Reading all the genealogies. So and so begot so and so. So and so begot so and so. But notice the key. Everyone. And then they died. They may have lived longer than we do now. But then they died. They all died. Even Adam. The oldest living man. Methuselah died at 969 years old. I know that's hard for us to understand, but the world was different. But the reality is is it's like this. If you've got sin, and sin corrupts. It does just this. It's a corrupt, it's a corruption thing. If you want to know what corruption is, go out and look at your car and see the dings and the dents. And then a lot of, remember the 80s Toyota pickup trucks? They all had like the entire fender rusted out on the bottom why did that happen or there'd be like these slight cracks in the paint something to do with the clear coat but I don't know anything about that but basically what happened is the metal was exposed and when it got shipped overseas on the salty seas salt gets in there right and that salt gets on the metal and there's some sort of scientific ionization where electricity goes through it and I don't know anything about that I know just enough to be completely confused but I know in salt and water and metal mix, there's corruption. We call it rust. And that rust, when it happens, it doesn't necessarily all have to be exposed. But that rust travels from that broken spot in the paint and it travels under the paint, right? And then what happens? The paint bubbles. And then you're like, man, I hope that goes away. And then the paint busts. And then all of a sudden... When that paint busts, that hard exterior, you see what was really going on inside. And so Paul spent all of Romans so far revealing to us the sinfulness of man. You may not be able to see it. There's some people that are nicer than others, but without Jesus, they're still corrupted. They still have a sin nature. They may not be heinously sinful, but they're still sinful without Jesus. And so corruption of man is what we have. For until the law, sin was in the world, even though we didn't know it was there. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Even so, even though sin wasn't imputed, we still see death. Man was never meant to die. Nevertheless, verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Death is in control. None of us have any power over death. We will all at some point die. That's exciting, right? No. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was the type of him who was to come. Now you might be saying, well, big deal, I wasn't there when Adam sinned. Why do I reap the consequences? Well, none of us sins unto ourselves. It's like the hiker that hikes up to the top of the tallest mountain. He gets up there. He trips a little bit. He knocks a couple rocks off the edge. Now, those rocks, he doesn't know anything about other than he tripped over them. And when they start rolling down the hill, they knock off a couple more rocks. And they knock off a couple more rocks. And they knock off a couple more until that pile of rocks and snow and whatever else catched, it knocks down a whole shelf of snow. Sin from Adam, is an avalanche to this day. It it encapsulates all of us. It stained us all. And so, the only hope that we have from Adam is that inheritance. That avalanche of sin that's corrupted us, that's made us even have physical ailments. Look at our bodies. They're breaking down. You know, I used to think that I would be 18 and in good shape for the longest time. But There's no hope in that because our bodies are like an old car. A little rust, a little dent here and there. The engine starts sputtering. The spark plugs go bad. The tires wear out. That's all because of sin. (laughs) So, our bodies, they're sputtering out, right? They can only get so many miles. They're going to give up. So what's the answer to that? It's the resurrection. And so... Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Adam was our headship. He was our leader. He was the best of the best. God formed him out of the dust. He wasn't a copy of a copy of a copy. He was the original. God breathed into them the breath of life. And then when he sinned, we inherited sin. Verse 15, but, I love this, it's a contrast. Adam gave us sinful nature, Adam gave us death, but, verse 15, the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense, many died, we know that, we experience that, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. That word abounded means overflowed I love that I think of an overflowing well of water, have you ever seen a spring just out in the middle of the woods and it's just spewing out water Just it doesn't stop, it just goes whether there's a drought, whether there's a season, it's just always spewing out water, well what is water a picture of? it's a picture of life, we have to have water, we have to have food but we definitely have to have water Man can live for a decent amount of time without food. He can't live very long without water. 70 to 75% of our bodies are consisting of water. And so in water is life. Think about the woman of the well. She was standing there in in Samaria and Jesus walked up and he, he spoke to her. He said, woman, draw some water from that well. And so she draws water. But she says, you know, who are you to ask me for a water for drink? Because she was a Sumerian. Jews didn't talk to the, the Samaritans. But as she brought up the water, he said, woman, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. And I, the water that I would give you, you wouldn't have to come back to the well for it because it would sustain you for eternity. He wasn't talking about physical water. He was talking about the water that, that he had to offer, the eternal, last, everlasting life. He was, in fact, the water that that spoke of. So, the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's many offense many died, much more the grace, the undeserved gift of God, and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, it abounded, it overflowed to many. Verse 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. Condemnation is this. It pushes us away from God. To be condemned is to be just sent away. But there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation or separation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in our justification. For if by the one man's offense, death reigned, death was in power, death was in control through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of the righteousness which will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, he sums it up. He says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Righteous. In Romans 14, it says this, The kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what he's given us. That's what he's purchased for us. That's what he's procured for us, gave to us in Jesus. I love this. Because on Resurrection Sunday, we focus on the death on Friday. We focus on the resurrection on Sunday. But the resurrection wasn't just about him being rose up from the dead. But the resurrection was to show us that Jesus couldn't be conquered by death. Because through death, he came to show us that he had power over death. What brought death? Sin. So to have power over death means that you have power over sin. And many Christians walk through this life They show up to church. They go through their week and they live as if they don't serve a living God, one who has power over sin. They fall to temptation. They let it beat them down and they go, Well, that's just how it goes. But the good news of Jesus is that when he rose from the dead, he proved that we now, because he was risen from the dead, we also are risen from the dead. We're new creations. The old creation had a bent towards sinful nature, towards sinning. The new creation has power to not sin. Power to say yes to God and no to self. Power to say yes to God and no to temptation. And so he's given us the victory, but we have to be obedient still. And he gives us the power to be obedient. And so the proof for that power is that Jesus overcame Death. death reigned, but the inheritance we have through Jesus is life. Not just life in heaven, but life through this world, through this life. We don't have to live a life of death and defeat. We get to live a life of abundance and overcoming. But that doesn't mean it will always be easy. But that, what that means is that he'll be with us through it all. And I love that because there are days where I feel like I'm completely defeated. I'm trying to be obedient, trying to do the right things, and I do the wrong things. So not only do I have someone that says, hey, I'll forgive you if you'll confess, if you get real with me. But I also have someone that says, you can do this because I'm in you. I've given you my spirit. The same Holy Spirit that resided in Jesus, he's given to us to overcome. So, let me ask you, does your life reflect the God who you serve? Let me tell you that your life will reflect the God you serve. If you serve a dead God, your life will bring forth death. If you serve the living God, your life will bear fruit. Fruit of life. Others around you will see the hope that you have want it you'll be able to lead somebody to Jesus that isn't just for pastors that isn't just for the preacher we are all god's ambassadors we've all been given the power to witness to tell people about him there are people surrounding us every day that don't know Jesus and so they don't have hope they can't persevere they give up they would and many of them don't want to give up but they don't know what that there's Another opportunity. They don't know that there's another option. They just feel like life's about defeat. and So be it. I'll just crawl in a hole and just suffer it out. But what the Lord says is that in this life, you will have tribulation. But you don't have to live a life of defeat. And so Jesus shows us the example of that. And his example not only stopped at him being risen from the dead, because he was risen from the dead. What happened? We celebrate that today. On Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they went to the tomb. The stone had been rolled away. They showed up for a funeral. They walked up to the tomb. Who did they see? Not Jesus. They saw an angel and the angel said, hey, he's not here. If you're looking for Jesus, he's, he's risen. That was the good news. He was the first one who got the heralded. And so what did they do? They took off. And they went and told the disciples. The disciples didn't even show up. They're like, man, he, this guy we hoped in, he's dead. The one that they sang, Hosanna, come save us, he died. I guess our cause is over. Let's go back to fishing. But then he appeared to them in the upper room. They were all afraid that the Jews were going to come and kill them. So Jesus, in his resurrected form, showed up in the room with them. Now they had locked the door, they were afraid. So he walked through the door. He said, peace be to you. And he had. Peace had come to them. He had come in a resurrected form. He walked right through the wall. And then he sat down with them. And you know what he did? He sat down with them. And he said, look at my hands. There are holes in his hands. They saw the hole in his side. He will bear those scars for eternity. But then to prove to them that he was alive, he said, give me some bread the first thing that the resurrected God of the universe wanted to do was to reveal himself to them, to express that he had brought peace with Him, but also, he wanted to eat with them. He wanted to have fellowship with them. He broke bread with them. And as he broke bread with them, they not only experienced that he had risen from the dead, but that he was still physically there. Because if he wasn't physically there, he couldn't have eaten anything. He couldn't drink any juice. He can't drink no juice if you're, you know. I think people get this Casper the Ghost idea, and if he tries to drink and eat with us, then it falls through him. But the kingdom of God is at hand, and we are His bride. And the Holy Spirit is going out in you and I to gather together the body of Christ, which is the church, the many people assembled, and as He gathers them together, the hope is. And the good news is that Jesus is going to come back for us. Just like in the Jewish wedding, they would pay the bride price. They would leave to go prepare a home. And then when that husband came back and married the bride, he would take her back to his house. And in the same way, Jesus has already paid the dowry. He's paid the price. He's purchased his bride with his own blood. And then he's left. He's going to prepare a place. That's what he told his disciples, right? When he returns, he's returning for his bride who hopefully will be prepared. Have the wedding gown on, the garment of Christ, the white spotless garment. And then we will go to be with him. But until then, we've got to gather as many people as possible. And until then, he calls us to fellowship with him. And sometimes that fellowship is just prayer in the morning, a little time listening or reading his word, fellowshipping with each other, we're reminded that God is real, that he's working in each other's lives. And then we break bread together and we eat the body and the blood of Christ and recognizing that it's not his physical body, it's not his physical blood, but we do it as a tangible way to remember that he is good, that he is God, that he died for us, but that that wasn't the end, that he rose and he's coming back. So that's the celebration today. He's given us power over sin. He's given us a relationship with Him, which is the biggest gift of all. Because sin separated us from Him. So what's going to happen is uh, we're going to take communion like we typically do on the first Sunday of the month. And we're going to take communion. We're going to take the body, which was broken. We're going to take the blood, which was shed for the covering and the cleansing of all of our unrighteousness. And it's powerful enough that when you and I leave this place today and we sin again, because that's what happens, especially when we get all our families together eating a meal, especially when we're around one another, it just happens. That blood is powerful enough not just to forgive you at salvation, but to cleanse you of unrighteousness when you do it today. You're going to. I'll probably go into five seconds after I get done. But His blood is powerful enough to forgive me of that even. And to give me the power to not do it. I love that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that through death, you gave us life. And though it looked like to the world that you were defeated, that in that defeat, you used the wrath of man to bring out the righteousness of God and to provide a sacrifice for each one of us, Lord. And so, Lord, as we rest in that sacrifice that your good deed, that your death was good enough to provide for us a way for salvation, we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to live in light of that truth, that in the day-to-day that we would remember that we have victory in Christ and that the worst that can happen here is that we would die and go to be with you for eternity because we come through Jesus. And so, Lord, there's hope in that. There's strength in that. Lord, help us not to forget when we're tempted that we have an advocate. We have somebody praying for us even when we're tempted. Lord, give them the ability to overcome. So Lord, as we get ready to take communion, help us to examine ourselves. Help us to get real with you. Help us to deal with any unconfessed sin with you. And Lord, as you forgive us, as you are sitting there waiting to forgive us. Soften our hearts so that we just be real with you. And as you forgive us, Lord, help us just to just thank you for it. You are worthy of our praise. And so, Lord, we take this communion and we remember all that you did, all that you're continuing to do, and all you're gonna do. Lord, you're not finished yet. You're gonna have the final physical victory when you set up your kingdom. And we want to be a part of that. And so, Lord, uh Thank you for your love. Thank you that death is no longer reigning over us if we are in Christ. And Lord, in the meantime, help us to live like we're going to be with you one day. And help us to experience the peace that comes with being with you now. Trusting you even though we can't see you. I love what Jesus said to Thomas there. He said, blessed are those who believed and have not seen me. Because one day we're going to see you, Lord. And I think we're going to be blown away. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. Go. Okay.